particularly. We had it for 10 days and it was awful. Um, so I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Many other people get it very mildly. They have it for two days. Pastor Charlie, Pastor Alvin, they had it last week and their wives got it. And Charlie, one of the pastors at Sunnybank, he had it and he said, you wouldn't know I had COVID except I tested positive. You know, he had almost no symptoms. So he got a week off. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> It's nice to be here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm from Sunnybank District Baptist Church. I'm the senior pastor there, and we've been involved with Hertford Street over the last, well, I don't know, five years, something like that. Um, And so it's our delight to have you as a sister church, and we try to support each other. So Friday morning, tested positive to COVID, so he gave me a call, sent a text actually, and said, can one of you guys come across? And I said, yep. Uh, Charlie happened to be preaching we swap every now and again. He's doing the morning this week and I'm doing tonight, except he's doing morning and night because he had last week off. (laughs) Payback. (laughs) So I get to celebrate my this afternoon. Um, Just to update you quickly, Sunnybank is doing well. For those of you who were at Sunnybank, um, it's been a few years now, um, we've changed our church constitution, we've changed our church structure, We're now looking for a new pastor to join us, a children's and families pastor, and we have um, some uh, outstanding candidates who have applied for that, so we're very grateful to see what God is going to be doing as I approach retirement, which I am looking forward to. Um, But it's a long way off. It was going to be this year, but now it's going to be maybe next year, and it might even be the year after that. Peter, who was our administrator in our office, Peter McCullough, he's trying to talk me into staying until 2026. That's what Rhonda did, because that's when he's retiring. He said, how about we just keep going and we'll finish together? He just doesn't want to train a new senior pastor. That's all he does to do. So it's nice for us to be here. Sunnybank is doing very well and God is blessing. And I think like Hertford Street, as I look around, new faces, new people, new families, and that's happening for us as well. Um, Yeah, so church is going well. Rhonda has retired and she's doing well. She's doing a lot of crafty stuff, knitting, sewing, making bags, and uh, she's even, people are starting to notice her, you know, uh, social media stuff. And it was great to see the video this morning of the Marshalls because we've got a young lady who's just joined us this year and she's going to Japan, hopes to go in about July, August. So I'm sure she knows of the Marshalls, be good for them to connect in and because she's going with OMF as well, and she's a delightful girl. She's being uh, interviewed this morning at Sunnybank. I was going to be doing that, but of course, I'm here. So it's my pleasure to be with you. I did, Josh, sort of, I said, what text, what are you working through? And he said, oh, if you could do something on prayer, you know, true disciples pray. So I tried doing that on Friday, and that didn't come together, and I didn't feel comfortable about it, so I ditched that. And then I went with 1 John because we just started a series on 1 John and I thought, I'll tell you what I told Sunnybank last week. And that didn't feel right and that didn't come together. So yesterday afternoon, I just thought, I'll go back to this passage. This is a key passage for us this year because our theme is about connecting with God and connecting with one another, particularly in the midst of this COVID thing of reaching out and networking together. And then this passage, the John has selected, the Holy Spirit's inspired, teaches us these three key truths. How do we serve Jesus? What does he require of us? Love him. And he wants us to follow him. So to serve him, love him, and follow him are the three key paragraphs out of this whole chapter. So we're going to try and work through the whole chapter 
and see how we go. Before I do that, can I pray? Pray with me, please. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be together, and I pray that you would bless us and enable us to understand your truth through this part of your word, and that in understanding it, Lord, we might be committed to applying it and to obeying it. Um, we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, this is new and different for me, so bear with me. What am I doing wrong? It's on. Do I just push the arrow? It's not working. That was worth waiting for, wasn't it? Oh. Did you put it back? I want to go to the next one. This is going to be a long talk. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that each gospel ends with a conversation recorded by Matthew? Not quite Mark, but I'll talk about that. Luke does and John does. That each gospel ends with a selected conversation. And when you think back over it, I mean, it's all directed by the Spirit of God who inspired the Scriptures. Matthew picked, like, Jesus has risen from the dead and then there is a thing about the Romans and then there is a conversation. And the conversation Matthew ends his gospel with is the disciples have gone to Galilee and it's the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptise them, teach them, I'm with you always. That's interesting. It's a key, significant conversation. Luke tells us a conversation on the very first Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and it's the upper room conversation. There's a conversation of the two walking on the Emmaus Road and then them going back to Jerusalem and Jesus appearing in the upper room, and that's what Jesus said then that Luke gives us. And it's similar. It's the mission. It's going to the world, waiting in Jerusalem until power comes upon you, and then go and spread the gospel to all nations, that they can have forgiveness, and so on. Mark ends at verse 8 in Mark chapter 6. It's really the women see Jesus, they run out um, from the tomb, they see the angels, they run out from the tomb and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. That's how Mark ends. But then if you look in your Bible, you'll see that there's a shorter ending to Mark and there's a longer ending to Mark because the early church knew that's not where the story ends. That's where Mark ends, but it's not where the story ends. And so now you've got John, who is the last remaining apostle, all of the other apostles have gone. They've died off, they've gone home to glory. This is probably getting later into the century, you know, into the 70s, the 80s, probably not the 90s, that might be a bit too late, but let's say the 80s, around that period of time. Um, and John has been telling these stories for decades. And as he looks back, from a human perspective, he says, what conversation will I end this gospel on? And the conversation is the one that, we, that Spencer read to us this morning, is about the time, the conversation by the beach, when the disciples went out fishing and didn't catch anything for the second time in their association with Jesus. And it's the conversation with Jesus and Peter on the beach and the lessons and implications of things for us that come from that. So this is John's selection, the Holy Spirit inspiring him. They're the two conversations that he picks. And he tells us, I want to go very quickly through the first 14 verses. Um, I can imagine John in telling these stories over time, repeating them over and over and over, that eventually you get to see, A, there's a pattern, but B, there are some, also some applications that come out of this story. This is not just a story about the disciples fishing and Jesus blessing them and catching fish and then them having breakfast together. It's not just about that. 
It's, a, it's an illustration. It's a parable. There's a pattern. This is what it's like, and this is how we serve Jesus now. As A.W. Pink points out, he says, please note that Jesus is on the shore. He's not with the disciples. They're in the boat on the sea, and they're working, trying to catch fish, and Jesus is at a distance, and he's directing them, just like it is for us now. Jesus is in heaven. We are on the, in the sea. We're in the world. We're working, and he is directing us, the church. I think that's a legitimate understanding of why John selected this thing. But there are some other things, and just to race through it very quickly, they decided to go fishing by themselves. They were directed by their own self. Pete says, I'm going fishing. It's always Peter doing something, isn't it? There's no sense of God directing them or leading them. It's not the wrong thing to do. It's a very practical, sensible thing to do, and they don't get rebuked or corrected for it. But because they did it themselves, the result was barrenness. They caught nothing. So too for us. If we try to serve the Lord in our own strength and our own will, then you'll find out you are fruitless. Jesus says, without me, you can do. And he meant it. We sort of fudged a little bit, but he was serious. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any spiritual significance. But then Jesus gives them a direction. Casting that onto the other side, and they follow that. And when we follow his directions, there is fruitfulness. When we do what he wants us to do, results happen in his own time and in his own way. And then, not only does um, they obey him, but he provides for them 153 fish. And there's a great deal of uh, paper being spent on what the meaning and the significance of 153. Let me give you what it means. It's not because of 153 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. That's one commentator. It's not because there's 153 nations in the world and it's one fish for every night. No- doesn't mean that. Have you ever been fishing? Josh is a fisherman. He likes to fish. I'm not a fisherman. That's a waste of time. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but all fishermen do this. When you go fishing and you catch fish, what do you do? You count them. Yeah, you clean them and you eat them, and, but you count them. How do we, why, what is the significance of 153 fish? Whoops. Because they counted them and they would have sold it. They wouldn't have eaten all of that. They had wives and kids, they would have sold those. They ate some of it, they would have sold it. So Jesus is providing for them, that's all it is. It's not symbolic and there's no deep spiritual meaning, it's just, isn't Jesus abundantly provides abundantly for us, 153 large fish. And then he says, come and have breakfast. There's already fish on the breakfast, you notice, on the charcoal fire. But he also says, go and grab some of your fish and bring it. He includes us in his efforts. It reminds me of um, what parents do with little kids. Uh, For a dad, it might be, this is going to be a sexist thing, I suppose, but anyway, send me an email. The... um, If I'm out mowing the lawn and my little two or three-year-old son, who's now 44 but going back, if he wanted to come and help me, he would be holding on to the lawnmower like this and I'd be behind him pushing it. Is he helping? Not a lot. But he thinks he is. And so I want to encourage him. And I want to encourage him that one day when he's maybe four, he could mow the lawn by himself. (laughs) That would be helpful. Or what about a little girl who, with mum sweeping the floor? I told you it was sexist. Um, 
She's sweeping the floor and the little daughter or son again comes up and wants to hang on to the broom to help sweep. Are they helping? <laughs> Not a lot. But you're wanting to encourage them. Well, that's what Jesus does with us. He could do it all by himself and he could do it much quicker and much better than we ever can, but he doesn't. He deliberately, intentionally involves us, works with us. So he's growing us and he's wanting us to learn more and more about that. Some of us this morning might very well be a little bit like the Apostle Peter as he was in this story. Peter had drifted. It's just before this that Peter had denied the Lord three times and was devastated by it. He'd met Jesus after the resurrection. <clears throat> but Peter, because he had messed up, felt dis uh, distant, felt that he had drifted a little bit from Jesus. And maybe that's where you are this morning as well. Maybe you, like Peter, had better days with the Lord than you're having right now. Well, I want to say a couple of things to you this morning about that. <clears throat> um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a wedding, and in that couple of weddings, and in those weddings, I spoke about um, we each do little habits each day, which are, are quite inconsequential by themselves. We clean our teeth each day, we pay our bills, we exercise, we move, we walk around or whatever we're doing, counting our steps. Little habits, but if you neglect them, they'll make a big difference, won't they? If you miss cleaning your teeth after one meal or if you miss for one day, well, it's not the end of the world, <clears throat> but try never cleaning your teeth from now on. You're going to have serious problems in your mouth with your teeth. You know, paying your bills, sometimes you might skip one or forget to pay one or you're late paying or something. Well, not the end of the world. You'll catch up. Try stopping. Don't pay any more bills. See what happens. You'll be in a world of hurt. So with moving. Look what happens to if you don't move enough. <laughs> I don't move enough. But if you don't move enough, your body, if you don't use it, you'll... Apparently. <laughs> and as you age, that you can increasingly see that. So too, spending time with Jesus on a daily basis, talking to him in prayer and reading his word, little habits. When you miss them, Miss a day or two, it's not the end of the world, but don't do them. Dramatic consequences in your relationship with him. So this passage picks up on that for us, of how does the Lord want us to love him? Verses 15 to 17. This is the conversation now that Peter is having with, uh, Jesus is having with Peter. It sounds like they're in a circle, they're having breakfast together, and it sounds like Peter leans across and has a conversation, but I don't think that's what happened. Because when you get down to verse 18, which we're not to yet, it's as they're walking along, Peter turns around and sees John following them. So they'd obviously moved, they're walking. Jesus and Peter are walking. And Jesus is having this private conversation with Peter, which is relevant for him, but also for us. How does Jesus want us to love him? Well, he wants us to love him three ways. One, love him supremely. First of all, number one, Jesus wants me to love him more than I love my wife. Jesus wants my wife, Rhonda, to love him more than she loves me. He's number one. That's what he wants. That's what he requires. And he's pretty uncompromising about it. In this passage, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think I've done this with you before. When Jesus says these, what does he mean? Does he mean these things? Do you love me more than you love fishing and boats and nets? 
your old way of life, your old career? Do you love me more than that? It's a good question for us. Do you love me more than people? Do you love me more than who's in this group that they were with? His brother is there, his business companions are there, James and John. Close colleagues are there that he spent three, four years with recently and they'd been bonded together. Do you love me, Peter says, more than you love people, love others? Or thirdly, Peter, once you boasted that you loved me more than they loved me, that they might deny me and run away, but you never would. You once boasted that. Do you still boast that? Do you love me more than they love me? We're not really sure which one it is. Probably the third one is my best guess. But certainly in Luke chapter 14, Jesus lays it down. If you're going to be his disciple... You've got to love him before all others and serve him. Before mother, father, husband, wife, children. Any significant person in your life, Jesus is ahead of them. Verse 27, you've got to take up your cross each day. Deny yourself. Not do your thing, do his thing. And even potentially renounce all of your possessions. Jesus doesn't usually ask us to give up everything. But he might. He did with the rich young ruler. He does when he calls some people to go overseas in missions. He may do it with you. But normally he doesn't say, give it up. He normally says, submit it to me. It's his anyway. You use it as I direct. So we are to love him supremely, which means sincerely, submissively, all of us. No holding back. Without uh, reservation and with no hesitation. Do we love him supremely? Secondly, we are to love him actively. Time has gone. <clears throat> Every time Jesus asked the question, he had Peter do something. Do you love me? Do this. Do you love me? Do this. Love my sheep, love my lambs, feed them, tend them, look after them. Jesus has given each of us a role, a task and a place to do and he wants us to love him actively. He doesn't want us just to talk about it. Let's not love just in word and speech, but let us put it into action, love him actively. Christ's followers are active. He wants us thirdly to love him publicly. It's interesting, every time Jesus asks him, he says, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And the third time he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus does. So if Jesus knew, why did he ask him? Two reasons. One, because Jesus likes to hear it. Number two, because Peter needed to say it. We're the same. We need to tell him and we need to hear ourselves telling him. God made us to love him and he wants to hear it from us. I've been married almost 46 years. In July it'll be 46. Spencer's birthday is the 5th of January. My wedding anniversary is the 17th of July. Just so you know. And just about, not every day, but just about every day, I say to my wife, I love you, and she says it to me. It's not every day in those, you know, 1,000, 16,000 days or whatever number of days it is. There were days when I was a bit upset with her. I might have been a bit cranky. I may have been not talking to her one day or something, so I didn't say it on those days. And they weren't a lot of days, maybe just a couple of hundred. <laughs> she misbehaves. Um, uh, even today, when I leave the house, she requires me to kiss her. It's mandatory. 
One day, last couple of weeks ago, I left the house three times. And it doesn't count. Just because I kissed her when I left the first time doesn't count for the second time. I still have to go find her, tell her I'm going and give her a kiss. I said, why? To which she says, well, you might go out and have an accident and you might get killed. And I said, yeah, and I'm sure that last kiss is going to be really significant for you. <laughs> Didn't let me out, I still had to kiss her. You would think it's enough, wouldn't you? 46 years. Surely that's enough. No, love's not like that. Love needs daily expression. Yesterday's demonstration of love, it doesn't count for today. So too in our relationship with God, keeping close contact with him. God made us to love him and as he loves us. And here is part of our vision statement. This is how God wants us to be committed to him personally every day. Every day. He wants us to connect with his people every week, like church, like connect groups, ministries. And he wants us to confess him publicly at every opportunity. Every day, with the Lord. Every week, at least, with his people. And at every opportunity, spreading the gospel for him. I think I might finish up. How to love him supremely, actively, publicly. That's enough, isn't it? I mean, I could go on for another 20 minutes, but... It's Mother's Day, and there are cupcakes waiting. <laughs> Follow him here, 30 seconds. Follow him regardless of your past, like Peter. <laughs> Not telling you that. Follow him regardless of the cost. Follow him regardless of what others do. How to follow him? Regardless of your past failures, whatever you've done, whatever you've messed up, he's still waiting. He still loves you. Peter messed up. Jesus had breakfast with him, went for a walk, had a conversation with him. He's reaching out to you. Uh, regardless of the cost, it's going to cost Peter his life. And regardless of whether others do, I love that bit. Because as Peter's walking along, he turns around and sees John following him. Jesus has just said to Peter, follow me. And uh, what about him? Jesus says, none of your business. What I'm going to do with him is between him and me. You follow me. So too for us. We follow Jesus regardless of what others do. And God wants us to do exactly that. How about we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are a good, good God. You've been very good and very gracious to us. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you more. And Lord, we want to serve you in any way that we can with all that we have. Help us, Lord, to be committed to you every day, to connect with your people every week, and to confess you to others at every opportunity. Help us, Lord, to serve you as you direct, to love you as you deserve, and to follow you as you require. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Barry. Let's all stand and give God the glory and sing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.